This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of mid-shaft clavicle fractures from the trauma section on orthobullets.com. Starting with a quick summary, mid-shaft clavicle fractures are common traumatic injuries caused by a direct impact to the shoulder girdle that are most commonly seen in young active adults. Diagnosis can be made radiographically with AP and cephalic tilt clavicle x-rays and treatment is non-operative or operative based on patient activity and demands along with the degree of displacement, shortening, and comminution. In this episode, we will discuss the epidemiology, etiology, relevant anatomy, classification systems, clinical presentation, imaging findings, differential diagnosis, treatment options, treatment techniques, and complications related to mid-shaft clavicle fractures. Starting with the epidemiology, mid-shaft clavicle fractures are relatively common, with an incidence of 1 in 1,000 people per year, and the prevalence of clavicle fractures as a whole accounts for 2.6 to 4% of all adult fractures. Regarding demographics, mid-shaft clavicle fractures are often seen in young, active patients, most commonly in males less than 30 years old. And regarding the location, 75 to 80% of all clavicle fractures will occur in the middle third segment. Moving on to discuss the etiology of mid-shaft clavicle fractures, the pathophysiology of these injuries usually relates to a mechanism of injury related to a fall onto the lateral aspect of the shoulder as is seen in 85% of cases or a direct impact to the clavicle. Some important notes on the pathoanatomy related to these injuries include that the junction of the outer and middle third is the thinnest part of the bone and is prone to fracture with axial loading. This is the only area not protected or reinforced with muscle and ligamentous attachments. In displaced fractures, the medial fragment is pulled posteroperiorly by the sternocleidomastoid muscle, while the lateral fragment is pulled inframedially by the pectoralis major and the weight of the arm. And note that open fractures are usually the result of medial fragment buttonholing through the platysma. There are several important associated conditions to be aware of from both the medical and orthopedic perspective with mid-shaft clavicle fractures. From the medical perspective, one must be aware of pneumothorax and closed head injuries that are associated with mid-shaft clavicle fractures. From the orthopedic perspective, you may have ipsilateral scapular fractures, otherwise known as a floating shoulder, scapulothoracic dissociation, which is the result of a traction injury and can be reflected in significantly distracted or widened fracture fragments or a widened interval between the scapula and the spine. Brachial plexus or vascular injuries are common with scapulothoracic dissociation. Other orthopedic manifestations may include rib fractures or neurovascular injuries. Some of the important anatomy to be aware of relates to the osteology, articulations, ligaments, muscular attachments, neurovascular structures, and biomechanics of the clavicle. Regarding the osteology, the clavicle is shaped as an S and is flat laterally, tubular centrally, and prismatic medially. The articulations of the clavicle include the sternoclavicular joint and the acromioclavicular joint. The sternoclavicular joint has four primary stabilizers, including the posterior capsular ligament, anterior sternoclavicular ligament, costoclavicular ligament, and the intraarticular disc. The acromioclavicular ligament has two primary stabilizers, the coracoclavicular ligament and the acromioclavicular ligament. 
The coracoclavicular ligament is particularly important as it provides superior to inferior stability to the AC joint and is made of two components, the trapezoid ligament and conoid ligament. The trapezoid ligament is more lateral and inserts 3 cm medial to the distal clavicle, while the conoid is more medial and inserts 4.5 cm medial to the distal clavicle. There are also several important muscles to discuss around the clavicle, including the sternocleidomastoid, deltoid, trapezius, pectoralis major, subclavius, sternohyoid, and platysma. The sternocleidomastoid is responsible for pulling the medial segment proximally when fractured, as the clavicular head originates superiorly on the middle third of the clavicle and inserts on the mastoid process. The deltoid stabilizes the distal clavicle and assists with shoulder abduction, which is relevant in these cases as shortening of the clavicle decreases the lever arm of the deltoid. The deltoid originates from the anterior lateral third of the clavicle, acromion, and scapular spine, and inserts on the deltoid tuberosity. The trapezius originates from the occiput as well as the cervical and thoracic spinous processes, and inserts on the lateral posterior superior third of the clavicle, acromion, and scapular spine. The pectoralis major in these cases pulls the humerus medially and causes shortening. The clavicular head of the pectoralis major originates from the antero-inferior surface of the medial half of the clavicle and inserts on the crest of the greater tubercle of the humerus, lateral to the bicipital groove. The subclavius muscle protects neurovascular structures passing deep to muscle and displaces the clavicle inferiorly. The subclavius originates from the first rib and costal cartilage and inserts on the undersurface of the clavicle. The sternohyoid originates on the sternal end of the clavicle and inserts on the hyoid bone, and the platysma is notable as it is violated with skin tenting and originates from the pectoral fascia and inserts at the mandible. Important neurovascular structures to be aware of include the supraclavicular nerves, subclavian vessels, and brachial plexus. Regarding the supraclavicular nerves, these are cutaneous nerves that run vertically over the clavicle and supply the superior chest wall. The subclavian vessels pass posterior and underneath the clavicle near the junction of the medial and middle thirds. The subclavian vein attaches closest to the clavicle and anterior to the artery and plexus. With respect to important biomechanics related to mid-shaft clavicle fractures, the middle third is the weakest portion of the clavicle and is the thinnest and narrowest area. This is a transitional area of the bone in both curvature and in cross-sectional anatomy and is the only area of the clavicle not supported by ligamentous or muscular attachments. There are two relevant classification systems to discuss when discussing clavicle fractures, the near classification and the AO classification. The near is a simple classification based on whether the fracture is non-displaced or displaced. Displacement is defined as less than 100% displacement in non-displaced fractures and greater than 100% displacement in displaced fractures. In the near classification, non-displaced fractures less than 100% displaced are non-operative, while displaced fractures with greater than 100% displacement are operative. In the AO classification, fractures are subdivided into type A, B, or C injuries. Type A injuries are simple fractures that may be classified as either A1, 2, or 3. A1 fractures are spiral in nature, A2 fractures are oblique in nature, and A3 fractures are transverse in nature. These may be treated either non-operatively or operatively. 
Type B fractures in the AO classification are wedge-type fractures that are also subdivided to B1, 2, or 3 fractures. B1 are spiral wedge fractures, B2 are bending wedge fractures, and B3 are fragmented wedge fractures. These are also treated non-operatively versus operatively. And type C fractures in the AO classification can also be subdivided into C1, 2, or 3. Type C1 fractures are complex spiral fractures, type C2 fractures are segmental fractures, and C3 fractures are irregular fractures. These should generally be treated operatively. On clinical presentation, patients may present with a history of popping or clicking sounds near the shoulder after a fall, and symptoms may include an acute onset of anterior shoulder pain directly overlying the clavicle. On physical examination, inspection should be performed noting tenderness, swelling, crepitus, and deformity over the clavicle. Skin tenting should also be noted, looking for any impending open fractures. A neurovascular exam should be performed, assessing the subclavian vessels as well as the brachial plexus. Moving on to discuss imaging, radiographs are recommended with views including clavicle and shoulder series. The clavicle series includes an upright AP clavicle and a Zanka view. The upright AP clavicle is important as the supine view may underappreciate displacement with gravity eliminated, and the Zanka view is a 15-degree cephalic tilt view that eliminates overlapping of the scapula. The shoulder series should also be taken to evaluate for other injuries, including a proximal humerus or scapula injury. Other optional views include an upright chest x-ray to compare shortening with the contralateral side and evaluate for pneumothorax. Findings on radiographs include superior displacement of the medial fragment and inferior displacement of the lateral fragment, as well as shortening. Important measurements to take on the radiographs include shortening and displacement. There are two methods to evaluate clavicular shortening, one with the AP clavicle and one with an AP chest. On AP clavicle, the distance between the corresponding ends of the medial and lateral fragments can be compared while on the AP chest, a direct comparison of length of the clavicle can be made to the contralateral side. This is important as shortening greater than 2 cm is associated with decreased shoulder strength and endurance. Displacement of the clavicle can be evaluated relative to the width of the clavicle, and greater than 100% displacement is a risk factor for non-union. CT scans are indicated to assess fracture pattern and for preoperative planning. This can include showing comminution, shortening, articular extension, and non-union. CT scan is also good to evaluate vascular injury, medial clavicle fracture, and SC joint dislocation. The most useful views of the CT scan include an axial, coronal, and 3D reconstruction view. The CT scan should be taken with contrast if there is concern for vascular injuries. The differential diagnosis for mid-shaft clavicle fractures should include adult distal third clavicle fractures, sternoclavicular dislocations, and acromioclavicular joint injuries. Adult distal third clavicle fractures are seen in older osteoporotic patients and the x-ray may show increased coracoclavicular distance. Sternoclavicular dislocations are seen with high energy mechanisms and may present with dysphagia, strider, asymmetric pulses, and paresthesias due to compression of the surrounding structures, and a serendipity view may be useful or CT scan may be useful to best demonstrate displacement of the sternoclavicular joint, and a chromioclavicular joint injury 
may present with pain and prominence more lateral over the AC joint, and Zanka or axillary views show displacement of the distal clavicle relative to the acromion. Moving on to discuss treatment options for these injuries, these may be approached with non-operative or operative treatment. Non-operative treatment is indicated for less than 2 centimeters of shortening and displacement, less than 1 centimeter of displacement of the superior shoulder suspensory complex, injuries that are closed without neurovascular injury, and in low-demand patients. Non-operative treatment modalities include sling or figure of eight strap immobilization. The figure of eight strap elevates and extends the shoulder to bring the distal fragment to the proximal fragment. Outcomes of non-operative treatment with figure of eight bracing are associated with more pain, shortening, and lower compliance than using a sling. There is no difference in functional or cosmetic outcomes between sling and figure of eight braces. Operative fixation of mid-shaft clavicle fractures has various absolute and relative or controversial indications. The absolute indications include open fractures, displaced fractures with skin tenting, clavicle fractures associated with subclavian artery or vein injuries, and floating shoulders in which the clavicle and scapular neck are fractured. Some of the relative and controversial indications include displacement with greater than 2 centimeters of shortening, bilateral displaced clavicle fractures, brachial plexus injuries, which is questionable because 66% of cases have spontaneous return of function, patients with closed head injuries, seizure disorders, and polytrauma patients. The techniques for operative intervention include intermedullary fixation or open reduction internal fixation with plate and screws. Outcomes of operative treatment have demonstrated a higher union rate greater than 94%, and similar or better functional outcomes than non-operative treatment. There is also a faster time to union with operative intervention, with operative intervention noting union at 16.4 weeks versus non-operative intervention, which sees union at 28.4 weeks. Moving on to discuss techniques for these treatment options, we will discuss sling immobilization, open reduction internal fixation with plates, and intermedullary fixation. In sling immobilization, this technique is performed with immobilization using a sling or figure of eight brace and no attempt at reduction should be made. Rehabilitation with gentle passive range of motion should begin at two weeks and strengthening exercises should begin at six weeks. Return to sports is noted at four to six months. The advantage of sling immobilization is that it has overall good clinical outcomes and avoids surgical and hardware complications. The disadvantage of sling immobilization as a treatment plan is a higher non-union rate compared to operative intervention and a slower time to union. Complications of sling immobilization include a non-union rate of 10 to 15% as well as the risk of malunion, poor cosmesis, and decreased shoulder strength and endurance which is seen with displaced mid-shaft clavicle fractures healed with greater than 2 centimeters of shortening. Regarding open reduction internal fixation with plate and screw fixation, this can be performed through either a beach chair or supine approach, as well as a direct superior or anterior incision. Techniques for open reduction internal fixation with plate fixation include anterior plating, superior plating, and dual plating. When compared to anterior plating, superior plating is noted to have a higher load to failure, increased plate strength with inferior bone comminution, and a decreased removal of the deltoid attachments, though it does have an increased risk of neuromuscular injury. Dual plating allows for a low rate of symptomatic hardware removal 
at 0 to 3.7% and is biomechanically equivalent or superior to single 3.5mm plating. Plate options include limited contact pre-contoured 3.5mm dynamic compression plates, 3.5mm reconstruction plates, or 2.0, 2.4, and 2.7mm plates can be used and combined for dual plating. Advantages of operative intervention include improved results with ORAF for clavicle fractures with greater than 2 centimeters of shortening and greater than 100% displacement. There is improved functional outcomes and less pain with overhead activities, as well as a faster time to union, decreased symptomatic non-union and malunion rate, improved cosmetic satisfaction, improved overall shoulder satisfaction, and improved shoulder strength and endurance. The disadvantages of operative intervention include increased risk of the need for future procedures, including implant removal and debridement for infection. Important complications to be aware of with operative fixation include hardware irritation, infection, neurovascular injury, supraclavicular nerve injury, hardware failure, and pneumothorax. Regarding the postoperative rehabilitation protocol for operative intervention of the clavicle, in the early phase, sling immobilization should be used for 7 to 10 days, followed by active motion, and in the late phase, strengthening should be commenced at 6 weeks when pain-free motion and radiographic evidence of union is noted, and full activity including sports can be commenced at approximately 3 months. Regarding the technique for intramedullary fixation, this procedure may be performed in either the beach chair or supine position, with an approach being either percutaneous or mini-open. Implant choices include an intramedullary nail, which the goal size of the intramedullary nail is 30 to 40% of the mid-shaft diameter, cannulated screws, titanium elastic nails, or a Hegel pin. The advantage of intramedullary fixation is a smaller incision, less soft tissue disruption, and avoiding supraclavicular nerves that are commonly injured with plating. This is best for simple patterns. The disadvantages of intramedullary nailing are a higher complication rate, including hardware migration, implant irritation, and secondary procedures. It is also biomechanically inferior to plating, and you are unable to lock and control rotation. Typically, with intramedullary nailing, hardware removal is required at six months. Intramedullary fixation is contraindicated with substantial comminution or for segmental fractures, and complications include hardware migration as well as loss of reduction. Overall complications for mid-shaft clavicle fractures can be discussed with respect to non-operative treatment and operative treatment separately. With non-operative treatment, there is a risk of non-union and malunion. Non-union is seen in approximately 15% of cases, with risk factors of non-union including fracture comminution with Z-deformity, fracture displacement, female gender, advanced age, and smoking. Predictors of non-union at 6 weeks include motion at the fracture site, no callus on x-ray, and DASH score less than 40. If zero of these signs are present, there is a 3% risk of non-union, whereas if there are two or three of these signs present, there is a 60% risk of non-union. There is no treatment necessary for non-union if asymptomatic. However, if symptomatic, ORIF with plate fixation and bone grafting is indicated particularly in atrophic non-unions. Other complications of non-operative treatment include malunion, which is seen in 20% of cases. The definition of malunion is shortening greater than 3 centimeters, 
angulation greater than 30 degrees, and translation greater than 1 centimeter. On clinical presentation, these patients may present with pain and increased fatigue with overhead activities, thoracic outlet syndrome, a dissatisfaction with the appearance, and difficulties with shoulder straps and backpacks. Treatment for malunion includes clavicle osteotomy with bone grafting if symptomatic. Moving on to discuss the complications of operative treatment, these include hardware prominence, neurovascular injury, supraclavicular nerve injury, nonunion, infection, mechanical failure, pneumothorax, and adhesive capsulitis. With respect to hardware prominence, this is seen in 8 to 30% of patients requesting plate removal, and superior plates are associated with an increased irritation rate. Regarding neurovascular injury, superior plates are associated with an increased risk of subclavian artery perforation or vein penetration, and subclavian thrombosis is also a risk. With respect to supraclavicular nerve injuries, these are the most common complication, with an 83% incidence of numbness noted at two weeks postoperatively, though this can improve over time with about 50% having persistent numbness at one year. The non-union rate with operative fixation is between 1 and 5%, and the infection rate is about 4.8%. The risk factors for developing infection include illicit drug use, diabetes, and previous shoulder surgery. The risk of mechanical failure of operative fixation is about 1.4%, and regarding the risk of adhesive capsulitis, about 4% of patients in the surgical group develop adhesive capsulitis requiring surgical intervention. Now that we've gotten a general overview of this topic, let's review a few questions to see how this material has been tested in the past. Question 1. A 21-year-old male sustains a mid-shaft clavicle fracture with greater than 100% displacement and 2 centimeters of shortening. After discussing the risks and benefits of surgery, he elects to pursue non-operative treatment. Of the following possible complications from non-operative treatment, which is the most likely? 1. Skin necrosis 2. Non-union 3. Complex regional pain syndrome, or CRPS 4. Sternoclavicular joint arthritis or 5. Acromioclavicular joint arthrosis The correct answer is 2. Non-union. In a patient with a displaced and shortened middle third clavicle fracture, non-union would be expected to occur more often than any other complication listed. The risk of non-union following mid-shaft clavicle fractures is increased with advanced age, female gender, displacement, and comminution, especially a Z-deformity. Non-operative management of mid-shaft clavicle fractures has also been associated with decreased shoulder strength and endurance. Furthermore, range of motion and shoulder strength have not been shown to be sufficiently different between operative and non-operative management. Hugervorst et al. reviewed the treatment of mid-shaft clavicle fractures. They cite that the rate of non-union for fractures treated non-operatively is about 15%. The authors note that those with greater than 2 cm of shortening and displacement greater than 100% of the shaft width are at greater risk for non-union and that nearly 66% of those who go on to non-union eventually undergo surgical repair. Robinson et al. performed a prospective observational cohort study to evaluate the prevalence of and risk factors for non-union of clavicle fracture treated non-operatively. They found that the risk of non-union was significantly increased by advanced aging, female gender, 
and displacement of the fracture, as well as presence of comminution. Regarding the incorrect answers, answer 1, skin necrosis is incorrect, as the rate of skin necrosis following non-operative treatment has not been shown to be higher than the rate of non-union. Answer 3 is incorrect, as the rate of complex regional pain syndrome, or CRPS, was shown to be around 2% in non-operatively treated patients. And answers 4 and 5 are incorrect, as the rates of sternoclavicular and acromioclavicular arthritis, or other abnormalities, have been shown to be somewhere between 4 and 6%. Next question. When considering treatment options and their associated complications for a healthy adult with an isolated, completely displaced mid-shaft clavicle fracture, Initial open reduction in internal fixation compared to non-operative treatment with a sling leads to 1. Decreased non-union rates and decreased healthcare costs. 2. Decreased non-union rates and similar healthcare costs. 3. Decreased non-union rates and increased healthcare costs. 4. Similar non-union rates and decreased healthcare costs. Or 5 similar non-union rates, and increased healthcare costs. The correct answer is 3. Decreased non-union rates and increased healthcare costs. In healthy adults with a completely displaced mid-shaft clavicle fracture, initial open reduction in internal fixation, or ORIF, leads to decreased non-union rates. However, the costs associated with this treatment and its possible complications are significantly greater than the cost of initial non-operative treatment with a sling and delayed surgery if necessary. Mid-shaft clavicle fractures represent 80 to 85% of all clavicle fractures and often occur as a result of direct trauma or fall on an outstretched arm. Treatment of this injury with primary ORIF versus non-operative care with a sling is a controversial topic with respect to patient-reported functional outcomes. The current literature reports higher rates of non-union in those managed non-operatively. Economic evaluation of these treatments using data from randomized controlled trials has demonstrated that ORIF is more costly compared to non-operative treatment. The reported cost difference accounts for both the cost of the initial treatment and costs incurred as a result of the treatment complications, which includes delayed surgery rates for those initially managed non-operatively and reoperation rates for those initially managed with ORIF. Robinson et al. conducted a multi-center, single-blinded, randomized controlled trial with 200 patients comparing primary ORIF versus non-operative treatment. The rate of non-union was significantly reduced with ORIF with a relative risk of 0.07 and a P of 0.007. Although patient-reported functional outcomes appeared to be superior in those undergoing primary ORIF, this effect vanished when those with non-unions were removed from the analysis. Costs were significantly greater for those treated with primary ORIF. Wren et al. performed a systematic review of randomized controlled trials comparing operative versus non-operative treatment for displaced mid-shaft clavicle fractures. They found that ORIF leads to fewer non-unions but more minor complications compared with non-operative treatment. Additionally, they concluded that the effect of ORIF on functional outcomes remains controversial. Walton et al. utilized data from four randomized controlled trials to conduct a decision analysis with respect to costs from the perspective of a single payer adjusted to 2013 Medicare rates for ORIF versus non-operative management. Reoperation and delayed surgery for those treated with ORIF and those treated non-operatively respectively 
were defined as the endpoints. The expected cost for ORIF was $14,763.21 compared with $3,112.65 for non-operative treatment, yielding a cost savings of $11,650.56 for non-operative treatment. Regarding the incorrect answers, answer 1, decreased non-union rates and decreased healthcare costs is incorrect as ORIF leads to increased not decreased healthcare costs compared with non-operative treatment. Answer 2, decreased non-union rates and similar healthcare costs is incorrect as ORIF leads to increased not similar healthcare costs compared with non-operative treatment. Answer 4, similar non-union rates and decreased healthcare costs is incorrect as ORIF leads to decreased, not similar non-union rates and increased, not decreased costs compared with non-operative care. And answer 5, similar non-union rates and increased healthcare costs is incorrect, as ORIF leads to decreased, not similar non-union rates compared with non-operative care. Last question, which of the following factors is associated with the highest rate of non-union of a mid-shaft clavicle fracture? Is it 1, younger patients, 2. Female gender, 3. Simple fracture pattern, 4. Sling immobilization, or 5. Early range of motion. The correct answer is 2. Female gender. The risk of non-union in patients sustaining a middle third clavicle fracture is increased in female patients. Clavicle fractures are often secondary to direct blows to the lateral aspect of the shoulder. Physical examination is important to ascertain the status of the skin and neurovascular structures to help guide treatment management. Although most non-displaced middle third clavicle fractures may be treated successfully with conservative measures, the risk for non-union of 1 to 5% increases with increasing comminution, female gender, shortening greater than 2 centimeters, and an advanced age of the patient. Robinson et al. reviewed 581 patients treated non-operatively for mid-shaft clavicle fractures. A non-union rate of 4.5% was identified at 24 weeks after the injury. They identified four factors that contributed to non-union, including female gender, lack of cortical apposition, comminution of the fracture fragments, and advancing age. Zlodzki et al. reviewed 2,144 clavicle fracture cases in a comprehensive meta-analysis. They report displacement as the highest risk factor for non-union, noting a rate of 15.1% in non-operatively treated clavicle fractures, and simple slings were favored over figure of 8 braces. They also report an 86% reduction in non-union rate when operative fixation is chosen over non-operative treatment for displaced clavicle fractures. Regarding the incorrect answers, answer 1, younger patients, and answer 3, simple fracture patterns, are incorrect as older patients and comminution of the fracture were found to be risk factors for non-union in mid-shaft clavicle injuries, and answers 4 and 5 are incorrect, as sling immobilization and early range of motion are not associated with an increased risk of non-union in mid-shaft clavicle fractures. That is all for this review about mid-shaft clavicle fractures. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or the mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, 
please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you are not already, please be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the OrthoBullets Podcast.